Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frizz Breeze with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how you doing today? I'm great. How are you, Randy? I'm doing good. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around winter being right around the corner, but I'll have to figure out how to embrace it. <laughs> yeah, well, it doesn't feel like it's around the corner to me since I go back and forth between Hawaii and Portland. So I have a question for you today, and that is, how many nails do you have in your jam bag currently right now? Hmm. Well, I don't have the jam bag in front of me to count, so I'm going to take a guess. Probably about 10 would be my guess. Wow. Yeah, I think there's 10. And um, I don't think that any of them have less than a half an inch of glue stacked up on them. There's no brand new ones. Ah, uh, so you have not gone in and decondoed any of them. No, I'm a little spoiled. I just keep, I get a new one and then I condo it out really bad. And then I get a new one, I condo it out really bad. I almost never clean them off. <laughs> Wow. Well, you've got to get that figured out. Uh, that's actually a whole interesting discussion of like, how do people decondo stuff? So I know some people will use a Dremel tool. I use like a, a hammer and a screwdriver and just kind of pop it off. It might be interesting to find out how people decondo their nails, but there are some people like you who don't even bother. I'm too lazy to decondo my nails. I know. I used to try to do it. The Probably the most successful way that I did it many, many years ago was to use acetone and just soak them for five minutes or so. And then that glue gets really brittle and just comes right off. Um, wow. But if you soak them too long, the nails get brittle too. So you can't do it for too long. So yeah. <laughs> and then anyone out there with a great strategy, let us know in the comments, well, how do you decondo your nails? Because uh, I, obviously I need a strategy for it now. <laughs> so what's today's episode going to be? Well, today, actually, I'm really excited about today's episode. Um, we call our podcast Shooting the Frisbees. And so when we were interviewing James and Ryan for their win at F PA Worlds, uh, we sort of went off on a tangent and just started doing just a, just what the title says, shooting the frisbees, talking about all kinds of frisbee nerdery stuff. And it's amazing how how many of us are just so nerdy about this freestyle frisbee thing that we can go really deep into a, so much detail about just like we just did about decondoing nails. And so this conversation is a conversation with those guys um, just going deep into frisbee nerdery. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it. So a couple of days ago uh, in ballet, the instructor, uh, she just came back from a, a trip in Italy about a retreat. And she was talking about in the class about this book by Carol Dweck about growth mindset. mindset versus fixed mindset. And I was like, oh, I told I remember that from like I read it and everything like James, you actually pointed that out to me pretty much at the beginning of the points run. And like in the moment, like during class, I was thinking like, man, that changed at least my Frisbee life so much. Like I was thinking if you were to take me like competition wise back then in no universe, could that version of me beat myself in the current day? Like the amount of growth, I guess, that I've like experienced because of just thinking about every day, like what can I be better at? Like what are the things that I've closed myself off to already that I can try and open back up? Like it was just thinking back to how I felt in the beginning of 2017, it just seems so long ago and it just feels like so good. It's like like when you hear people 
uh, like competitors right after a win, they like talk about, is this real? Like, is this moment real? Like, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like that at the tournament anymore. It's like right now, like I can go out and I feel like I can win a tournament right now. Like that is the like that feeling is is that real? It's like not so much about the accomplishment anymore. It's about building up my skill. And I just I really like the feeling of everything we've accomplished, like in this points run, especially. Well, I think that's what you call confidence. I mean, that's what you get by going through that journey at the very beginning stages of your freestyle career. You're kind of feeling out of control. And then as you start to have some victories and some successes, all of a sudden stuff starts to gel and slow down. And now you get to a point when you've had a lot of success where, like you say, you just feel like you could go out and win because you know how to control the situation instead of the situation controlling you. Yeah, exactly. But just to piggyback on what Ryan said, so The Growth Mindset is this book by Carol Dweck, who I think is a Stanford psychologist. And it's been really helpful for me in the last few years. And Ryan and I have talked about it a lot. And I'm going to oversimplify it and probably not get it exactly right. Um, But one of the main tenets of it is that you control your own abilities and skills. And it's not about talent. It's just about learning and accepting challenges and learning from them. It's so useful in freestyle because once you get accustomed to thinking in this way, you're not blaming the judging system. You're not blaming your physical limitations, your flexibility. You're not blaming the other competitors. Everything is in your control. And everything that happens to you you can learn from and grow from. And I think Ryan and I have done a lot of that this year, and it's been super helpful for us. And to some extent, the abuse routine is a little bit of an offshoot of the growth mindset because you just take you take the world that you live in and you find the best way to work with it. And part of it, part of it for me is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about the judging system and Ryan disagrees with me on this, but I just really don't care because I know whatever system we make or we have, I'm just going to try and figure out the best way to use it and the best way to succeed in it. And it's so helpful to think this way. And I think it could really help a lot of freestylers elevate their game. Jake, what do you think about that? (laughs) That's a good question because I've actually thought a lot about that long, long, I don't know, many years ago after uh, many years of competition and not winning. At some point, um, I came to the same conclusion that really the judging system is less important um, than how I perform. And so if I perform and I see numbers in a certain place on the, the judge's sheet, then I know that I can make an adjustment in how I play to bring the scores up. And that's really what it comes down to. It's really less about the actual rules and more about um, how I react to it and how I control how I play. But the other thing that I guess in my own mindset that shifted was um, for me, winning became less important and doing well in the judging system became less important and uh, playing the way that I wanted to play became more important. So you guys took the route where you wanted to win, you put together a routine to win, and you did. And that's freaking amazing. The route that I ended up taking was I did that a bunch. Matt and I together did that a bunch, and we never won. And it was finally the year where we said, screw it. We're just going to play the way that we want to play and not worry about it. That's the year that we won. It was very interesting. Yeah, well, I also think, and I I agree with that mindset, and I think that's kind of what I have going forward, because I do want to just play the way I want to play and not worry so much. But at the same time, I do always think there are ways to play your own game within most systems. I remember having this cock a lot with some of my early Worlds teams, where it seemed like there was this battle between 
well, we want to do this thing that's really cool, but maybe it's too hard and maybe it's not going to get enough points. And I think almost always when we worked hard enough, we could find a way to do both. And that's probably not always true. And there are certainly things that I would like to do that I just don't think are rewarded. But yeah, it's kind of making the decision for yourself and deciding what you want to do. But I think a big part of the growth mindset is you decide what you want to do and you work towards that and you don't blame anything else for preventing you from reaching your goals. Yeah. And I totally love that perspective. Like you can't control what's going on around you. You can only control what you do. So saying, what can I do to change, to improve the situation and not worrying about anything else, not blaming anything else. That's, that can totally change your life. And I love that you guys have that perspective. Yeah. And maybe the last thing I'll say about it, I just the real way I like to implement it and think about it and how it's been most helpful is it's a lot about realizing your weaknesses and trying to grow grow from them. So, for instance, right now, I know that I probably have the ugliest guidance in all of freestyle. And I've been working really hard and working with Ryan to get better at it. And I think maybe years ago, before I really learned to think this way, I might have just thought, well, I'm not really good at guidance. I'm good at other things. It's just I'll never be good at it. It's fine. But now I think, all right, what are some things I can try? How can I try different things? And what's going to ultimately get me better? And that's my goal. I'm taking this whole year. That's my main concern, the main thing I'm working on. And hopefully I come out with at least 30% of what Ryan and Daniel and some of these other guys can do. Yeah, well, you know, you and I and you, me and Ryan have both had conversations like this about growth mindset and about uh, working on things that you're not good at. Uh, and just personally, um, you guys changed how I thought about it. At some point I kind of stopped practicing the things that I wasn't good at and just started focusing on the things that I was good at airbrushing and skids basically. And, uh, I don't know. I think what you said to me, James, at one point was stop catching under the leg. And at first I was like, that what that's, I got to catch under the legs cause I don't want to have any drops in my routines, but I had to think about it. And we talked about it some more afterwards and it sort of sunk in that. Um, I was holding myself back by not trying to expand what I could do. And uh, so I started practicing other things. And man, I got to tell you, it's totally changed my perspective. I'm so much more happy playing now because I'm practicing and working on things again, whereas I kind of had stopped doing that for a while. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. And I always thought learning was the best part of this game. And I'd be really disappointed if I didn't have a list of 100 things that I wish I could do. But it seems like that list is always growing, and I'm just trying to keep up with it. You know, that's interesting that you say that. That, that and I'm just going to s- circle this back to the judging system. That playing to the judging system always felt to me like I stopped learning when I did that. And so I started finding my voice when I stopped caring about the judging system, and that's where I started learning more things and trying more experimental things and really incorporating a lot more layers of the music and just trying to have moves that hadn't been seen before. So that's where I felt my biggest learning came is when I started forgetting about the judging system and just started letting go with what my vision was and what felt authentic. Well, I wonder what Ryan thinks about that. But I I have to say, I've been thinking about that a lot this year, Randy, because what I've been thinking about is I have enough good moves to do a five minute routine and hit my hardest moves. And I would not, I could, instead of learning a bunch of new moves, I could just keep working on the moves I know till they're 99%. And I think with that, I could win a lot more competitions. 
but I don't want to do it that way because I do think I would love, I would lose a lot of my love of the sport if I weren't working on new things. But it can be hard to do that sometimes to think I'm working on this thing. It's probably going to take me two or three years to really have it online and sometimes longer to ever be worth it to bring it out in a competition. But, you know, I'm okay with that. I think to the extent people care about it, what you can do is a lot more important for your standing in the freestyle world than how well you compete in my mind. Yeah. So Ryan, what do you think about all of this? I think, well, definitely, I guess it shows in how I practice. If you look at my study tapes, especially compared to James, like James will do one of each hard move, but a lot of my study tapes will have me doing five or six of the same move all together without drops. And like that really, I was really targeting the, here are my moves. I'm going to hit these five moves in my routine and I'm going to catch every single one every single time. Like, okay, so for the points run, I really enjoyed that uh, type of practice, but I also really liked the kind of experimentation I did with the new moves every week. So now I think that was one section of my career and now it's time for like a new section where I don't practice a move a hundred times in a row until I can get it every single time in every single conditions. And I'll go for the move that maybe I won't hit every time, but it'll be spectacular when I do. So that kind of brings me back to one of the things that I've always thought about is that why do we do this? Are we doing it for ourselves? Are we doing it for the audience watching us? So a lot of that trying to work the system feels like you're doing it for yourself. And that coming up with new stuff is about sharing that excitement with who's watching you do it. So it's kind of like two different compartments that you're trying new stuff is really about sharing it. And the more that you're trying to kind of perfect this certain move to fit into, say, a judging system feels a little bit more about yourself. Um, At least that's the way it always feels for me. I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with that because learning new moves is also for yourself. It's fun to learn new moves. It's fun to push yourself to a new level. Uh, And at the same time, I could say, if you're working on perfecting a move that is just so amazing and you get to where you can hit it 99% of the time, the audience is going to enjoy that much more than maybe seeing you catch it and maybe seeing you drop it. Well, maybe I should clarify that. I should say doing new moves, so not perfecting moves that everybody's already kind of got in their basket of tricks. But that's why I really like Ryan's doing these new move things. And I would love to see more experimentation with that direction and that. So I guess maybe I'm clarifying want to see new moves, not just working on moves that have already been accomplished. I see. Yeah, you're talking about um, creating moves that no one else has ever created before, like putting your own brand and your own unique stamp on Yes. Freestyle. Yeah. What do you yeah. think about that, James? So I've, I've been thinking a lot about this lately, and I don't really have a good answer. But I know a lot of people sort of talk about this kind of internal debate about, is our sport about appealing more to the audience and spectators, or is it more about creating a great environment for ourselves or playing for ourselves? That's a little bit of a simplification, and there's a lot of different facets of this issue. It's always hard for me because I think there's a little bit of crisscross. So for instance, you said you know, doing new moves is more, maybe more audience friendly somehow. But at the same time, you know, a lay audience doesn't know the difference between the latest and greatest Ryan Young move and a 20 year old move that they've just never seen before, because the sport isn't really very common. Um, So it's sort of hard to know. I I always think when we talk about what is more audience friendly, we're kind of just guessing, because I've been in jams where you have 
10-time world champion and a total newbie. And the newbie is the one who's really impressing everyone just because people who don't know about freestyle don't necessarily know what they're looking at. Um, but at the same time, just stepping real far back, I think for a long time I've kind of been on the train of I want to make events more audience and spectator friendly. But I've been kind of coming around to or at least understanding more the view that, you know what, like maybe we're a small sport and maybe we don't appeal to a lot of people and maybe it's fine to just like playing and like doing your game and doing it for yourself and doing it for your freestyle friends. So I really see both sides of it. Uh, yeah, and I don't know. I don't know if there's an easy answer or we need an answer, but it's definitely interesting to think about. Yeah, I don't think we need an answer. I just think that it's interesting to talk about. And as we are all jammers, we know that when we have somebody watching kind of what what is appealing to them and what isn't. And it's interesting to do that dance with somebody watching you. And where do you go with that in your own mind? And how do you do you let them in? Are you doing it for yourself to say, hey, well, I'm so hain? Or are you doing it because, well, I want to take them on a journey? So it's it's not so much just audience friendly. It's more of just exploring what is that relationship between what we do and somebody watching us? Um, and where do we go with that relationship? You know, what's funny about it, though, is that a lot of the things that I don't really love about the current judging system do accord with my experience with people watching us play in the park. So for instance, I think people seem to, and I could be wrong about this, but people seem to value execution as a lay audience way more than I do. So there are so many times when I'm playing in Central Park where there's a lot of foot traffic where people stop, they will generally stay there until we drop it. And I just think there's some magic when players are executing that so the illusion fades or disappears at the drop. And my goal, whenever I see someone stop and watch, I want to go drop us so long that they're forced to leave. that They just run out of time and have to go. And it doesn't happen that often because it is really hard to go five minutes dropless. Every now and then, especially if you're playing with someone like Roger or Dougie, who's real reliable, you can make that happen. But it's always cool to keep them in and just like keep, keep bringing the catches and keep bringing the variety. Yeah, I think you're right about that, though. I've experienced the same thing where we're in a jam. People watch until there's a drop and then they lose interest. It's like the magic is broken once the disc hits the ground. And I, I'm guessing that it, they may relate it to juggling where, you know, you're keeping the balls in the air. And as soon as you drop one, you failed. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's an interesting little layer that I don't think we've quite really explored a ton about what is it is it because it's not just the drop too, but it's also the surprise element that happens when somebody's watching. They're like, "Oh, I didn't expect that body roll to a kick brush. They've never seen a kick brush." Or uh, I'm just kind of pulling those two out of the air. But I mean, there's a surprise element that keeps them attached as well. You have an interesting background, Randy, because of your theater background. So you're you've been a performer. And the rest of us, this is our only performance experience. So you have definitely a much deeper uh, understanding and, and comprehension of what all that means. Come on, Jake. I was a performer for seven years. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, you were a drummer. So you have all kinds of performance. So has your drumming experience helped you at all in your freestyle performing? A little bit. I mean, obviously, drumming in a lot of ways is very different from what Randy was doing. I think acting is a really great experience to being a better performer in freestyle. I was a jazz drummer and I feel like 
my role is more in the background and I'm not the one who's trying to bring all the energy to the audience. I'm just trying to bring all the energy to my fellow musicians. But little things that you might not think about matter a lot. I, I think tempo is really important to freestyle and tempo is really important to having good flow. And I think drumming helped me with that a lot. And just general how to control stress levels in a performance have helped. But I don't claim to have the kind of gift that Randy has for interacting with the audience. I'm going to shine this light back on all of you guys. You guys have all been performers. Just every time you go out and freestyle at the park, you're engaging and performing. So you guys have got years and years and years of performing. We're all performers and have had lots of experience in, in that arena. Well, let me tell you, Randy, what I'm most jealous of you about. And I'm going to break my cardinal rule, which is I'm going to curse in a recording. If I could only fix my resting bitch face and look more like you when I perform, I would be a very happy person. <laughs> well, and if you could fix that ugly guidance, that would probably go a long ways too. If I could fix my <laughs> ugly guidance, you're all doomed. I'll never lose again. There's no Actually, way that I your guidance is more ugly than mine, James. Come on. I was going to say, Jake's, Jake's guidance is way more ugly than yours, James. Your, your, your guidance is really quite beautiful. No comment on Jake's guidance. See? (laughs) (laughs) We can work on it together, Jake. Okay, let's do that. It's interesting, the idea of what makes a move beautiful. And ultimately, it really is in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, that's kind of what it comes down to, in my opinion. I totally agree that the beauty of the move is in the eye of the beholder. And it is interesting, though, with James and Ryan and I, because we kind of have this history about talking about what moves are beautiful. And so a great example is Ryan has a tutorial video on how to make your guidance beautiful up on Frisbee Guru. So if you guys are interested in Ryan's thoughts on that, go check it out. Hey, I want to do a quick mention here that City vs. City, the first championship, is coming soon. So be ready. And on that note, Jake, I will talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. Home to Haynesville, Shooting the Frisbees, and live streaming freestyle frisbee. Oh, yeah!